are two friends going through big changes in our lives, just like so many other people that we know. No matter how happy we are, life is always throwing us a curveball. And we have found that having a friend to talk it through and discover new tools with has been key to figuring out who we are now as we evolve through these life transitions. So join us as we grow and learn and nourish our souls together. together. Hello, Jill. Hi, Soul Sister Melinda. How are you? I'm doing good today. Good. We are outside today. We are a, making a scene change. We are. I feel like we we are often making scene changes. <laughs> you at your house, my house, closets. In my closet. Yeah, comfy chairs. But this is our first time outside. First time outside. So there may be some planes going overhead. There may be some barking dogs. We might be eaten up by ants and mosquitoes. We don't know. But we're excited to be here. We're actually sitting in the sukkah that we celebrated Sukkot in. Anyway, it's a it's a really fun place to be. We I have had it up a little extra long. So Jill and I are outside in the sukkah doing our I asked Melinda if we could podcast outside. I, I am I've had I'm having so much fun experiencing the sukkah that I was like, can we can we go outside again? Can yeah. we do our next we've been wanting to go outside and maybe, you know, do forest bathing or whatnot. Um, but here we are. So yeah. let's Put away our befores. Let's put away our befores. So we like to take a couple of deep breaths. Maybe do a whispered ah in through the nose. Out through the mouth. Ah. Take another one. Ah. Welcome to the present moment, everyone. Welcome. So Melinda, what have you been curious about this week? Well, Jill, I've been curious about a lot of things. I Primarily... It's very interesting how so many things that we talk to our friends about or things that we experience in life all come back to certain, um, you know, a handful of specific emotions. Right now, a lot of my friends are sitting in some fear. Mm -hmm. And so there is some fear kind of prevalent around right now in reaction to some real negative emotions out there. Some some might call it hatred globally, the uh, attack on Israel by a terrorist organization. And regardless of where you stand in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Hamas is a terrorist organization that is doing some pretty horrible atrocities and have been calling for some global violence against Jewish people. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. So I've had several calls, texts, conversations with various people on how do I find gratitude? How do I let go of even one friend feels really guilty for not being over there because mm. she used to live in Israel and she feels guilty that she's not there now. Mm. Um, there are a lot of emotions kind of surrounding this this global event and uh, the the majority of it being fear so that's really where I've been spending most of my focus this week so what are some things that you've been doing to sit in grace with that mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that fear or a friend's fear how do you like when people call when our friends you know call you call us mm-hmm. you know what are some things that you do to you know help support people in that moment mm-hmm. so what I try to do is talk to them about the fact that we live in a both and universe Mm -hmm. 
Mm. and that you can hold to seemingly contradictory emotions at the same time. So you can have some fear and you can spend time recognizing that fear, but you can also take time to find some gratitude and that spending some time in gratitude can actually help ease some of the negative emotions that you're feeling. Now, again, I'm not, that doesn't mean that you're discounting what's happening. You're not discounting the gravity. Mm-hmm. But as I've mentioned before in this, when you let fear overcome you, your frontal lobe closes off. Anytime you let any negative emotion overcome you, all of these chemicals get shot out into your body. And what it does is it tells your brain, your frontal lobe, to shut down because all of the blood needs to run to your extremities to put you into fight or flight or freeze mm-hmm. mode. It is okay and, and necessary to feel negative emotions. We've talked about that with grief. It's the same with fear. It's just that you also need to be counterbalancing it so that that fear does not impair you. Um, so what I have been recommending is, you know, kind of the basics. And actually, this is it's great that we're doing this outside because going outside and just taking some time to look up at the sky, recognize the natural creations around us that have nothing to do, has no, have no dog in the fight. Mm-hmm really taking time to be able to sit in awe and gratitude for just this natural world that actually still somehow is peaceful, even with the turmoil that's going on in the world. So sitting and getting in in touch with that peace and just being able to spend a few moments to bring yourself down, bring those Mm -hmm. cortisol levels down so that you can actually function. Because... Our kids still need to go to school. Our lives still have to continue. So we have to have some level of functionality in this world. And so to me, going outside is the number one. Of course, breathing, spending Mm -hmm. time outside and breathing Mm -hmm. are very important. I am glad that we're doing this outside today. Like I'm even aware, just sitting here talking with you, how my energy level just goes into a completely different speed and Mm -hmm. mode when I am outside Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like it's easier for me to connect to my breath. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to step away from the stories that I tell myself. Yes. I know we have talked about this at length before, not only in, you know, just you and I and our, our visits, but on our podcast is the role that social media and just sort of how plugged in we are, the ease and access the ease of access to news and stories and what's going on in the world or in our environment or in our town and the comparison spirals that we can fall into. You know, I was thinking earlier, uh, I've recently been sharing a little bit more of my health journey more publicly and talking about the role that fear played in my life once you know, let's be honest, when we're growing up and we're younger, we don't really, we know about death. Right. We don't really think about it. It seems really far away. Right. But when you come face to face with a health situation, health scare or a medical mystery, all of a sudden the reality of the end of your life becomes more present. And I've been talking a little bit more and certainly more conscious over the past several years of when fear 
at an extreme level entered my life. And it was very much a part of my day-to-day decision-making, like choices that I made in my career or with my family, sometimes subconscious, sometimes conscious level. Fear was guiding and pushing that, a fear that, oh, I got to get it all done. And I, what if something happens? Mm-hmm. Um, and chatting with some some other people as I was more public with sharing these stories recently had a lot of people who've also been on medical mystery journeys reach out to me and what I've been hearing and uh, a story that I've been hearing consistently is how isolated you can become mm. in your own fear story yes um whether that's fear of discrimination, I can't tell people all the things that I'm facing. They're not going to want to hire me or they're not going to want to work with me or they're not going to include me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be left behind. So, you know, I, I am, you know, very curious in the role that fear plays in creating. We talk a lot about creating mm-hmm. the stories that mm-hmm. we, the labels and the definitions that we live in and, you know, stress and the role that stress plays in what what type of fear stories are we telling in stressful situation? Of course, I have it just, I am sitting with a lot of empathy and discouragement with the stories my Jewish community members might be facing, not only in my local community, but globally. But how, how can my experiences and history and journeys help support people that are facing fear mm-hmm. and trauma right now mm-hmm. and I think are we is this bringing up old feelings of trauma and grief and loss that we've all been through independently or globally as a community through the pandemic I don't know that was that was me going off in as I often do seven different directions <laughs> um bring me back <laughs> I, bring me back Melinda I, what I really would love to go back to is your discussion about the stories that we tell ourselves, because our lives are all centered around the stories that we tell ourselves. None of this, no anti-Semitism or no, you know, anti-Muslim groups or any, no hatred would exist if we did not buy into narratives that were mm-hmm. told about specific groups of people. Mm-hmm. Our, we are, our behavior is completely dictated on the stories that we buy into. The best way to combat that, of course, is by combating ignorance. And really, once you get to know people who are in a community and you get to know that, and understand that we are really no different from each other, then you start to have more compassion and more empathy for the other group. And then you start to realize that a lot of the stories that you're hearing are not true and I'm getting tickled because if you hear the screaming in the background we are not we're not in a dangerous environment or armed there is some children screaming because they're playing next door it's it's kind of tickling me so I'm so I know but it's it's wonderful to be outside and Mm -hmm. you, you know like I'm my my imagination started going off a little bit about how great it is to get outside and be around other people Mm -hmm. and realize that life is going on. Mm -hmm. People are having experiences. They're going to be different. And sometimes that's, that has been in my 
journey when fear has gotten the best of me or worry. I am a worrier. I was already unleashing my worry to you today about your microphone and it falling off the table. Right. Um, And (laughs) I dropped off my son at an event today and I was worrying about what if I'm recording and you need to get a hold of me and I'm going to keep an eye on my phone. I am not keeping an eye on my phone, but I am a natural worrier. And what I have found is going, connecting with others and tuning into other people's stories mm-hmm. and other people's experiences has been one of the greatest ways that I can combat my own fear and worry and anxiety mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what I I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, the next minute. But stepping outside of my head yeah, and whether that's nature mm-hmm. and focusing on the birds and the bees, you know, like the bugs that are out here today and the wind and the trees or somebody else that's going through something. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate you sharing the story of what the Jewish community, you know, is wrestling with and mm-hmm. sitting with the grief that they're sitting with right now. I wasn't tuned into that. Right. Um, and so again, the more we can share stories, the more we're going to raise everybody's empathy Whether it's a health mystery or, you know, a a war or, you know, a a different way of living or loving, that is going to help us tackle this, I think. Well, that's the only way. There's the uh, M.O.K. Jr. quote that darkness doesn't fight darkness. Only light can get rid of darkness. Mm. And hate cannot combat hate. Only love can do that. So only love will win out over, over hate. And like I said, the way to do that, I think, is to get to know people, to listen, to learn from other people who are from different places than you, whether it be socioeconomic, whether it be race, whether it be sexual orientation, whether it be religion, any of that. It's, it's what's going to combat it. And I think also in talking about this and in getting tickled by the girls outside, it, it also made me think about the fact that I've talked to, and I mentioned this to you, Jill, before we started recording, that there are some people who are experiencing some guilt because they're not there. Mm. Also feeling some guilt. And this is very common in people who have either lost a loved one or who have a loved one who is suffering. There is often guilt associated with if I'm laughing or if I'm getting tickled at something or if I'm feeling grateful or if I'm doing anything that evokes a positive feeling then mm-hmm. there's guilt associated with that. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the best way to, again, to combat negativity is through joy, love, laughter. The positive is what's going to combat the negative. I love that, Melinda. It's making me think last, uh, this week, the past several days, we've been, my husband and I have been doing some home projects together and yes. installing some new rollout shelves in our kitchen and bathrooms. We have a 1960s house. And, you know, I struggle with leg weakness. I'll go ahead and say it. I've been sharing it publicly. I was diagnosed several years ago with multiple sclerosis. And so, you know, sometimes my legs aren't as strong as they typically are. And I was, you know, oftentimes they're helping my husband and I was doing the work and but I can't necessarily always climb the ladders and bend and do the things that I want to do mm-hmm. but uh I, I was attempting to cut the the mats for the rolling shelves but I was struggling to get into the position to do it and coordinating my hands and legs and all this stuff and 
And I was creating quite a little comical scene in the living room. And my husband was like, why do I have a little, you know, Tim Conway in my living room, you know, and acting a, a Carol Burnett scene. And at first I was like, that's not funny. I, why, I Don't make fun of me. I can't. I can't. And he's like, well, why can't we laugh about it? Sometimes there's a Tim Conway character in the house. And, and my husband has been really great at providing me with perspective sometimes in these moments where I find myself getting more frustrated and discouraged and he's like why can't we laugh at this Mm -hmm. you know like that it's a part of our story and it sometimes it looks funny um and that has provided me with some of the greatest benefits in in my journey to approach this yes in a a healthier and less stressful manner I love Um, it so we allow funny moments to happen I call myself sometimes I have dopey days where you know I'm just not able to do things as you know, grand as I'd like to do, but they're my dopey days. I love it. Well, and if you, I mean, I don't know how many times I'm going to end up shouting out Tom Shadyac and I am, but <laughs> my like, I literally there. feel like we need but, to have some sort of like game. I, I actually um, looked up about having him on the podcast, but I don't think we can afford him. But anyway, in I am, one of the big takeaways from it is the incredible ripple effect that we all have. One of the reasons I wanted my children to watch this documentary is because it makes the argument very, very clearly that each and every one of us matter and each and every one of us and everything, not just who we are, but what we do Mm -hmm. has a ripple effect on literally on the world around us. I mean, you've heard of the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. It is a much grander scale than you could even imagine. Okay. For those that don't know the butterfly effect, what is that? Yes. So the butterfly effect means they say that, you know, a, a butterfly flapping its wings in one place can cause a tidal wave on the or a tsunami on the other side of the world. Mm. So what you find is with all of the, the research that's been done on our true connection to each other, that when these global events happen, when 9-11 happened, they have these random counters that measure energy of the earth as it's affected by people. I may not be saying that exactly right, but that's that's the basic, <laughs> my basic understanding of it. It counts and it, it produces numbers. And there are always these random numbers or these random number producers. So maybe it has nothing to do with the energy. But anyway, <laughs> they're random number producers. Anyway, and they're in different places globally. Yep. They're always producing random numbers. They're not the same. They're all different. When 9-11 happened and it it became known around the world, all of those numbers became ones and zeros in every random number counter because of the energy that was being put put out around the world. Yes. So the effect that we all have on each other and that we can put out around the world is super effective and much, and there are so many more. I mean, I'm not even doing this this documentary justice there's so much more to it but there are so many examples of how we as single humans have effects on everyone around us so being able to be be here and not let ourselves drown in fear and become incapacitated in fear and being able to laugh to experience some gratitude Mm. it actually is having an unseen effect on the world around us. 
And I, I truly believe that to be true. And it's scientifically proven. Oh, I love that. I want to put it out there right now for anyone in our, our growing, soul-nourishing collective yes. tribe of listeners and thinkers and explorers. We are we are at some point going to sit down and visit with Tom Shadiak. Tom Shadiak, if you're listening to our little <laughs> Who Am I Now podcast, I want to introduce you to your number one <laughs> documentary I Amish. <laughs> I Amish fan and that's Melinda Young so I, I, we're gonna this is the day October 12th uh, well, October 12th October 2023 12th. we are sending that vibe out vibe into the universe. wish out into the universe that sometime soon we're going to be sitting and chatting with um, Tom Shadiak it's a life-changing documentary and I yes I would love that would be the highlight of my life honestly Oh, well, thanks, Melinda. I'm glad that that well, would be Well, I mean, high. other than being with you and <laughs> joking, spending okay. my life with you. Um, um, not, well, you know. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this question. How, how do you think, I, I, I know what you're going to, I know, I think fundamentally the answer to this, but how do people, how do we face fear and crises and stress and uh, chaos and a storm, how do we face that with any sort of calm? Is calm the, the only result that we're wanting in these situations? Like, is, is, you know, like, how do we face, how do we be calm in, during the storm? I think, you know, in answer to the question, is that what we want? I think that we do want some level of equanimity because we want to be clear thinking. We do not want to ever come at something in a reactive way, right? We don't want to come because if, if I am reacting to your hatred or your anger, my reaction is going to be to mirror your anger. And that's not going to make anything. It's not going to heal anything, right? So the way that we come at this is I would say that what we're striving for is some level of deep peace and confidence and clear thinking. You know, we've got to clear our heads to think about where we can plug in to help when there is a, a situation in need. Not just, and I'm not just talking about Israel, but whenever there's, I mean, we have lots of things going on in this world right now. We've had floods. We've had all kinds of natural issues. We had the fires in Hawaii. We have all kinds of things. We have, and then we have our things going on just personally in our lives. So let me bring it, actually, let me bring it down, if you don't mind, to a bite size, mm-hmm. if you will. Bring it down. Uh, bring, bring it, it down. down. So my romantic partner... It feels weird to say boyfriend when you're 55. Um, is, uh, oh, but please do. Like, then like, I think we need to live with that youthful. Uh, anyway, we have, a, we have a history. I've known him for 30 years. And I've known his father and adored his father for that long. So uh, I need to give that a little backup. Anyway, his father is in the hospital and has been kind of going up and down after a fall, a really terrible fall. He's 87. Mm-hmm. He has beginning stages of dementia, and he's had some things happen after this fall that have caused him to start becoming more delirious again. I need to express how much I adore this human being. And so it is easy for me, as well as 
my partner slash boyfriend to uh, to go into fear, uh, to go into fear about what is happening to him, right? Because when he does not know where he is, mm-hmm. he's asked you over and over again, what city am I in? Mm-hmm. Am I in the hospital? Where am I? All of this is very disconcerting, and it is very easy to become afraid. So it's extremely important as loved ones and caretakers to take the time to bring ourselves into a clear-headed space. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm going to call it because I think peace feels too woo-woo-y. Yeah, but Mm clear-headed. It's extremely important because there are decisions to be made. There are ways in which you need to know how to interact with Mm -hmm. him so as not to provoke fear or issues. There are also ways to interact with his wife, who is who is stepmother to my partner. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to keep our wits about us. And so it is extremely important then that we practice taking some time away. And again, that is where the guilt can step in because shouldn't we be at his bedside every waking moment? Mm-hmm. And we start telling ourselves that story that not doing that makes us bad or selfish or whatever, when in reality, the only way that we can properly help him is by taking some time away and going outside ourselves, spending some time with friends, talking, watching something that makes us laugh. I was listening to a podcast that had me rolling on the floor and I thought, and I did have a moment of like, oh, is this okay? You know, and I thought, oh, it is, it is because it's building up me, you know, building my reserves. So I'm talking too much, but, but, um, did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I like, you know, clear headedness. I like, uh, how you describe that. And I'll be honest and share that I've, I sometimes struggle with that. I'm, you know, second generation Italian and I can go from zero to angry in like less than two seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I have spent an enormous amount of time in self-reflection mode and self-awareness um, and developing a keener sense of why am I getting angry or why am I getting scared or irritable? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, developed a, a better understanding of my triggers. I, as a 50, I was going to say 52, but now I'm 53. That's right. <laughs> uh, 53. Um, as a 53-year-old now, I but I also, even though I kind of did a little grr, I, I'm also quite proud of the wisdom that comes from our Amen. age. Um, I now am in a place where I better understand what my triggers are. And when I have certain reactions, that mm-hmm. I can have the awareness to say, okay, for example, you were sharing some examples. Like I, because of my life events as a young person and, and the trauma and uh, that I experienced, uh, I my body responds very intensely to change. Mm. And that change could be changing where the sofa is in my living room. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> like it, I have, my husband and I have, we now know, oh, if, if I'm, if, if I don't know why I'm experiencing a special like irritability or or 
agitation or frustration that this just seems general sometimes i i have to ask myself oh is something changing in my world mm-hmm. that i don't understand yet remember early in the podcast i was going through that general melancholiness mm-hmm. like that was the first time that that uh, change had had start had started to roll out more in a sadness usually mm-hmm. it's more of an irritability and anger mm-hmm. um but I just, my body doesn't handle change well. It it brings up PTS. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of spiral out in not functional, (laughs) dysfunctional behavior. So I I know that that's a trigger now. And so when I see some some behavior that is surfacing that I don't feel that I have control over, I usually ask myself, okay, is something changing in your world that we can mm-hmm. maybe talk about, Jill, <laughs> to yourself, mm-hmm. by yourself, or in the car? So I've, you know, I, I continue, especially as I watch my 17-year-old grow up, continue to talk to him about the value of healthy self-reflection and self-awareness practices mm. so that you can constantly be living in a state of better understanding yourself. Mm. Whether that's like me coming out here, sitting in the sukkah and, you know, being in a new and different environment. This is not my backyard. This is yours. And I like I, I feel alert and it, it it leads me to think about things differently or be curious about different stuff. Time with you just talking leads oh, to self-reflection. So that's important. the huge thing mm-hmm. is finding a friend that you can sit and talk in. But kind of understanding triggers. Mm-hmm. That's just where my head went because, you know, I'm not... Sometimes I struggle with getting to the clear-headedness quickly. Yes. Well, it's a muscle, right? It's a muscle that we all have to continue to practice. And once we become more aware of our triggers and more aware of what it is, because we're all individuals and we'll all have things that work more quickly and more effectively for each of us. Another thing that I notice is that now that I'm more aware of things that set off the triggers is that net you know the next steps after the trigger is disrupted you know the behavior is that first knee-jerk reaction Mm -hmm. but then very quickly after that oh the stories the stories that I start telling myself oh it's always going to be this way oh things are ruined Mm -hmm. you know I go to catastrophic yes (laughs) dramatic endings to situations I I mean I, I take huge leaps in like a span of 10 seconds. We all do. We all do. Okay, that's that good to hear. That's good to hear condition. that we all do. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, when am I going to learn this lesson? No, it's pretty fascinating. The one thing that we don't all have in common are, the, are what our triggers are. What you're talking about, too, that I, I find really so interesting and so informative is how our bodies sometimes know before our brains do. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I find that so true with grief and I know we've talked a lot about grief on this but grief is such an integral part of our lives and I think Jill and I have come to understand more and more even in this last year what a big role grief has to play in lives in general we grieve such a wide array of things if you heard our last podcast you know that there sometimes we're grieving many many things at once from the large to the small I find that for me, specifically around my mother, who's been gone for 16 years, what happens to me is there's a, there's a, 
thing that happens to you when you're grieving that that I was so fascinated with the fact that nobody told me this. And I cannot tell you the number of people I've told this to who have recently lost someone who were so relieved that I told them that they were not going crazy. And it's when your what brain, is this? your brain just completely stops working. And it is like your thoughts, like you can't, you've, I mean, you've experienced yeah, loss. Yeah. You know how you're, it's like you have a thought, but you almost can't connect your neural pathways. Almost, it almost feels like they don't connect with each other and you can't complete a thought. You, it's, it is the oddest thing. You feel like your brain is broken and that is such a, an intense feeling and such a great example of that frontal lobe closing off. And the crazy thing is, is that I start having moments of that before I recognize that it's grief. So I'll start thinking mm-hmm. I'm losing my mind. I will start blaming it, blaming it on lack of sleep, mm-hmm. on whatever it is, um, menopause, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And then all of a sudden I'll, I'll go, oh, the anniversary of my mother's death is, you know, in three days or four days or whatever. Yeah. And um, and then I realize that that's what it is. Melinda and I both lost our mothers in the same year, so I think mm-hmm. we've had this added benefit, mm-hmm. blessings in, that come from negative things. Yes, yes. Uh, that we've traveled through the grief process mm-hmm. together. Yes. Um, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and so we've been able to kind of get through stages of of that initially. And look, you know, when we visit, look back and go, did you experience that? Mm -hmm. Um, I also remember experiencing, I'm a pretty social person. (laughs) I think we both are. Um, (laughs) I I had experienced some social anxiety. Mm, Interesting. Like, so I, I love the point that you made that your body sometimes knows or has a reaction to things before our conscious self is aware Mm -hmm. of how a, a, how something is being triggered or, or how an emotion or an experience is working its way through your body Mm -hmm. or, or consciousness. But so many things from social anxiety to lack of thought to fear. I've, I've even had real physical ailments I mean, right. I, looking back at my, you know, 20, almost 23 year, 22 year medical mystery, my progression of multiple sclerosis, you know, the majority, all of that time, I didn't even know I had it. But many of the flares looking back now were entirely triggered by stress and grief. Yes. yes. It's pretty incredible. I know two different women who lost someone. And within months, develop breast cancer. It's really fascinating. And both are thankfully okay Mm -hmm. and have been able to to beat it. It is really fascinating. You know, Ellen Langer, who is considered the mother of mindfulness, she is a, a researcher and professor out of Harvard. And she says I, that she is convinced, and I, I am in agreement, that the mind and the body are one unit. She said, we talk about the mind-body connection. She said, I don't Mm. even believe that that's the case. I think they're one unit. And I think research is starting to show that more and more. She certainly has incredible research that I think uh, the sooner that we can actually embrace that narrative, Melinda, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like perched here. Like, is that that like, 
I think that very concept of a separation between mm-hmm. may be the very thing that's preventing us from living the healthiest lives that we could. I absolutely um, agree. I, I And I appreciate you reminding me of that. I mean, I, I am learning at, at deeper and stronger levels every day in my health journey of how important that connection is. But reframing it, yes. reframing that story yes. of it being living within one frame, mm-hmm. I think maybe, and I, I really hope this next chapter that we move into that I think is evolving okay. in the med- the medical community mm-hmm. and the science community, I really think that there is a lot that we can learn from the people that have been researching this. You know what I, you know what I got in the mail today? You know what, what I ordered? You know, I've been exploring um, mycelium and taking lion's mane mm. for neurogenesis. I talk about the fantastic fungi Netflix movie all the time. And yes. Paul Stamets, who is premier researcher and uh, expert in mushrooms, has written so many books. And I was like, you know what? I, I was wanting to explore some more mushroom, not necessarily the psychedelics, but like more support. And am I taking the right levels or... Do I understand it enough to really kind of play with it mm-hmm. in terms of autoimmune or just day-to-day, uh, you know, resisting colds or whatever? Um, and I bought one of his books. So I'm, I've got this huge, giant, like, encyclopedia of how to grow mushrooms. I don't even, like, do you I... think we can grow mushrooms in Austin? Like, is Texas, yes, like, grow hospitable? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to learn all about it. Maybe I'll have it. a little... Uh, I'll write a little blog or we can talk about, awesome. you know, alternative uh, healing sometime in our podcast. By by no means, Melinda and I are going to repeat this. We do this a lot. We are not doctors. We are not ther- therapists. And we're not anti-Western medicine. Oh, gosh, either. no. I am on plenty of Western medicine. But right. we are, we use the word at the beginning. We are curious. Yes. And we are open to exploring things. And right. And that's really part of what this podcast is all about, is our sort of interest and exploration of all of these sort of different topics and, and, you know, the evolution of of what's coming out and becoming available and... But I How do, like, us. I do have this image, though. Like, I kind of want to figure, I want to find my costume. I want, I want to know what my mushroom forager costume and basket is going to be. Okay. Like, I, I so want to <laughs> lean into this. Like, I want this to be a future, like, ver- like, one aspect of Jill in her older years. It's like, I got to find the perfect foraging basket and hat. And mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's you know me, I love costumes and props. That's very fun. I know we've gotten kind of, you know, we've gone down a little, <laughs> you know, hole of uh, away from the original conversation, but that's kind of how, how this these things work out, and I think usually do. One of the things you were talking about with uh, when you were talking about triggers, and I wanted to just kind of come back to that and talk about the importance of us getting to points where we are recognizing what are because really that's how we are going to be able to to start to get better is when we can recognize what our triggers are mm-hmm. and we can recognize what we have in our toolkit that works best for that's us that's it awareness mm-hmm. and arming yourself with tools mm-hmm. and the more you practice these things the more you find what what works for you and you you continue to work on it the easier and more quickly you'll be able to come into 
a clear mind, um, peace, whatever it is. I had somebody say to me, gosh, you're so quick to forgive. How is, mm. how is it that you don't hold on to these resentments? How, how is it that you've, you're so fast? And I said, I've practice. <laughs> I've been practicing. I've been practicing for a long time. I happen to have been in a situation where I spent years and years uh, practicing forgiveness just to make the, the situation tenable. And I got really good at it. I mean, honestly, it, and it is just like a, a muscle. I mean, it sounds silly to say I'm really good at forgiveness, but my gosh, it's a gift to be able to not let things, and it's, it, you know, is that, I shouldn't say not let things bother you because the whole point of forgiveness is something does, something happens and it hurts you. But my ability to let it go and move back to forgiveness and understanding and compassion even is pretty quick. I also, and I don't, I can't, I can't really explain why all of a sudden my curiosity has taken me into forgiveness, but please just, if you'll just indulge me for a minute. Mm -hmm. I do think that forgiveness is one of the one of the biggest keys that we have to to getting ourselves clear headed, and it's super important that we recognize that forgiveness does not excuse a behavior. Forgiveness releases us from carrying that release. Yes, release because you know we we're just talking about how grief and trauma and stress can store up in our body and, mm-hmm. and wreak havoc. We have got to all be constantly aware of are we storing up negative energy that could harm us Mm -hmm. I there is a you often do this in some of our meditations you know the meditations that you lead um, for our retreats um, where you know the I feel like I don't want to bring it up because I kind of might want to ask if you might want to do I don't know I'm putting her on the spot right here considering all the grief that's around us right now like would you be up to a just a very brief meditation that guides us through mm-hmm. releasing mm-hmm. some fear, mm-hmm. coming back to our fear? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I can. Yes, absolutely, I can. I'm. I mean, I just. Yes. Well, I mean, and I, I again, I don't mean to ever put you on the spot, but uh, uh, friends listening in Soul Nourishing Collective Land, my friend Malin is a master. Uh, meditation improver. I, I sitting out here right now. I'm looking up at clouds. Mm-hmm. I'm. We're still hearing the family playing and kids playing in a yard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the temperatures are cool. There are trees peeking over the sukkah tent, and mm-hmm. but I know that we're all still like behind all of this stuff is fear right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fear, so mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe just a little moment of helping people and me step through that fear a little bit. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I always like to start out with everybody kind of getting comfortable. And it doesn't matter to me if you're sitting or if you are laying down. I would only say do not participate in this if you are driving because uh, meditation is designed to help you kind of take your mind off of what you are doing and it we need you to pay attention to your driving if you are not driving you can have your eyes open or closed you need to be able to be in a situation where you feel the most comfortable once you get comfortable start to pay attention to where the 
ground is touching your feet or where your the backs of your legs are touching your chair and just kind of where you are in space start to focus in on your breathing paying attention to the inhales and the exhales Maybe starting to breathe a little more deeply for two or three breaths. And now bring into mind whatever it is that's making you feel fear or sorrow, grief. And allow it in. Understand that right now you're in a completely safe place. You might want to even open your arms up, open your fingers wide, and welcome in that feeling. And it's okay. Know it's okay to welcome it in. This may cause some constriction in your throat. This may cause tears to form in your eyes. And that's perfectly okay. Feel the emotion. Feel where the emotion is in your body. And now take in a deep breath and exhale out a little bit of that emotion. See if you can exhale it out and let it drift off into the heavens. And because sometimes we become so attached to our emotions, it can be hard to let them fully go. Know that it is okay to do the best you can, letting go of as much as you can. And breathe in another deep breath. And exhale out more of that emotion. Feel that negativity going out of your body and being absorbed into the air. You might see it as bubbles, as mist, And now I want you to take one large breath, the deepest yet. Feel it surrounding that area of your body where that emotion is anchoring. Bring that breath in. Hold it for a few seconds while it unhooks and unanchors that emotion. And then let out a strong breath out, maybe even an audible exhale, getting rid of as much of that emotion as you can out of your body. So you might do a, 
didn't see anybody. Um, and feel now some space within your body. And in that space, I want you now to inhale some light, love, peace, and bring that air that, that is holding all of those beautiful, bright emotions into that empty space that was left behind. And as it enters into your body, let it surround whatever remnants of that negative emotion are left. Knowing that it's okay that there are remnants left. And that you are safe and loved. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back into the room. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I um, I do think that meditation can be hard for some people, but I hope that that was helpful. I find that guided meditations can sometimes be more helpful than just being told to just sit. Just sit and mm-hmm. meditate. Go meditate. Go meditate, Go meditate on this. That's right. <laughs> um, well, I just felt like, you know, with everything that we're facing right now globally, that just a little bit of time sitting and talking through the fear would be helpful. You know, we just appreciate being able to, well, I appreciate being here with my friend and working through my own fear, grief, and absolutely agree. Curiosities, mm-hmm. but also, you know, knowing that we, we are widening the circle and I f- continue, we are hearing such wonderful feedback from, wow, yes. from, People, men, women—it doesn't matter People the gender, I didn't the even age. Expect to listen um, to this? Yes. Like there is a real need for widening this circle. There aren't enough. We need more people having these conversations and doing right. this work. So maybe we inspire you to, you know, invite some friends to your living room or your backyard and just sit and talk. Yes. Yes. Reach out and have conversations. I agree. It is the best thing that we can do. I, it really is. That's as we've mentioned before. It's what Jill and I have found above all to be some of the most healing, most helpful uh, in in getting us through these journeys that we're on. And boy, we laugh a lot too, which is fantastic. <laughs> you know, we we have. You know, I know sometimes have... when we get into like our serious conversations, mm-hmm. like we could we could talk talk at nauseum about some of our curiosities. But please know that there is uh, sometimes great silliness as well. There is. There's one more thought before we leave, if you don't mind, that I just wanted to to bring up too. In talking about forgiveness, I just want to bring us back to that. I had somebody tell me one time, if you're so forgiving, then why can't you still have this person in your life? And my response was, I can forgive the knife for stabbing me. But I'm not going to sit around and wait for it to stab me again. Hmm. And Eckhart Tolle talks about the high no, and that's kind of the same idea. You can say no. You can set boundaries and not allow yourself to be uh, continually harmed or 
abused or uh, in a negative situation, taken advantage of, whatever it is, you can say no, but you just don't say no with anger or with hatred. So you can have forgiveness around something and still not want the behavior to continue or not want to subject yourself to this, to the behavior. Well, I'm totally, and I might enjoy having a longer conversation about boundaries together with you and our uh, collective, because that, that has been, while I intellectually understand (laughs) boundaries and certainly have developed some throughout my life. And I think we have, you know, some basic boundaries, but sometimes I feel like my boundary stability is a little floating. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. I don't always stick to things because, again, the stories that I have told myself: oh, if I do this, then I won't, or I should, or you know, we know that we've talked a lot about the shoulds. But I have stories that sometimes prevent me from sticking to my boundaries, not even sticking to it, but being fully aware mm. that maybe I am crossing about my own self care boundary. Mm. Yes, yes. And I will continue to put myself in situation after situation, you know, overcommit, say yes to things when I should be saying no. We've talked about that. Um, And not realizing that I am crossing a self-preservation or self-care boundary that I learned years or months or weeks ago. Um, So I might enjoy having a refresher reminder course on that. Maybe we won't want to do that in our next podcast, as a matter of fact. So, but I actually, I feel like forgiveness ties in very well to fear and to some of the things that we're facing because, for instance, you know, some of the best forgivers that I've ever seen are Holocaust survivors who say, mm-hmm. like they've, like Edith Eva Eager is one of my favorites. Victor, Victor Frankel talks about it mm-hmm. as well, about the importance of letting go of their anger or their hurt and forgiving, even forgiving Hitler for what he did. Because Edith Eva Eager says, I realized that I was still a prisoner of Hitler's until mm-hmm. I forgave him. So so that I just wanted to kind of bring that around back around to what we started off talking about and say it may sound like we went off the be off the yeah. path, but we really didn't. Well I think I, I continue to say I think I continue to remain prisoner to some of my own stories that only incite and encourage continued fear in my life and anxiety or pressure. So I uh, am here in front of you today, friend Melinda and listeners, continuing to work very diligently uh, with my own stories. Yeah. So I am no longer, so I can work to no longer be a prisoner. I love that. I love that. And I, we would love to hear any stories or anything that you would like to share with us at soulnourishingcollective.com. We, we are thrilled to death, as Jill mentioned earlier, to be widening this circle and finding more and more people reaching out to us. It means the world to us that what we're saying resonates and that we are able to provide a sense of community for people who are looking for that. So please, please feel like you can reach out to us we welcome anyone and everyone and pass this podcast on if you know someone who you feel like this might be helpful for pass it on to them we would love to continue to widen the circle and make deeper connections so we're all ambassadors of building connections in our communities and our our spheres so onward we go my friends onward we go onward we go